This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Please welcome this year's recipient of the Pat Tillman Award for Service, the training staff of the Buffalo Bills. All right, that was the scene at last night's ESPY Awards as uh, DeMar Hamlin introduced the Bills' athletic training staff, which obviously was critical in saving his life on the field January 2nd against the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday Night Football. And he also did a three-minute piece that was uh, shown to the people in attendance as uh, he described the relationship that has grown from that experience you know, it was kind of it was I thought it was well put together. You know, he kind of explained how you have over 100 people on a sideline on a given Sunday or that are in and around the team on a daily basis. And, you know, everybody, but you don't really know them. And then this thing happens and he's gone on to know these people on a pretty intimate level, certainly more than the average player athletic trainer relationship. There are other examples of it. You know, when a guy goes through a major knee injury, like I'll bet you Tredavious White knows three or four of those people intimately well just by virtue of the fact that he's spending hours every day with them through his rehab regimen. You know, you talk about other things besides what's going on today at work. Right. And as you could see from some of the footage, our MSG viewers saw some of the footage from the ESPYs last night, uh, not a lot of dry eyes there. And, uh, it was a really well-done piece. Yeah. And um, DeMar narrated it uh, shot by the Buffalo guys here yeah. in our building here, you know, over the course of the, of the, in the game and in the, re, in, the, in the subsequent months that followed, all that stuff was shot. Um, really nice piece. And it, you know, it, it continues to resonate with a lot of people. You can't watch that video without getting choked up. And it is um, interesting because the league – you, and he starts out like you say. There's 53 guys, a bunch of guys on the on the practice squad. But then you got coaches, you got strength conditioning co- staff, you got sports science staff, you got trainers, and not everybody knows what all those people do. And they see all these people down on the field, and they wonder what you know what role they have. And then when something happens, like what happened to Demar, you find out there's a lot of people who really know what they're doing and how to do their jobs really well, and. Um, and moments like that make us all thankful that they do. Well, yeah, and it's like he said, you know, these guys train and prepare for these kinds of things. When those moments show up, though, they got to get it right. Yeah, I'll say this, too. They And they did. The league is, um, you know, they're better, I think, now than they've ever been. Certainly the Kevin Everett uh, incident from 2007 uh, was part of that. But mm-hmm. the league has always – you know, I remember – having the training staff from the 2007 Kevin Everything going, you know, we just did that yep, drill. I remember that. A month or like No, a, it was it was that was the season opener. It was a season, they did it the yeah. Friday before the first game. Right, they did their right. run through drill. They did the run through of something like that happening. Yeah, emergency uh, like 3 days before. And certainly yeah, they they continue to do that every year to make sure they've got it right when it happens and um you know, it's just, you know, it just makes you really – it's just a relief to know that 
a lot of people really do do their jobs and do them well. Yeah. Uh, particularly the ones that in a moment, in a crisis moment, you really need them to. And I think the other part of this that shouldn't go unnoticed is, you know, you see the ESPYs and it's the, it's the elite athletes that are celebrated. Uh, it's only occasionally that someone on the periphery that does a lot to support the excellence that we see on the playing fields and the courts, you know, in the ice. It's, it's nice when you see people on the periphery get recognized for what they do as well. So really happy for Nate Bresky and his staff. Um, well-deserved. And, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> DeMar even said I couldn't hold it together. He said not only because of who I knew was coming out to accept the award, but he said because of the excellence in the room. Um, he's, as we've said before, he's a very self-aware young man. I mean, he's only 24 years old. Mm -hmm. I was not that mature at 24. <laughs> I mean, uh, and for him to – he's very self-aware, number one, and then number two, he's aware of the magnitude of what's going on here. Like, it's even bigger than him, and I think he yeah. recognizes that. And I think he's been um, on board as well, obviously, of using it for the right reasons. You know, it's been great to see. Um, it's uh, – and it'll continue to – this is going to continue to evolve, um, you know, how the effect of this going forward. Um, you know, you see now you <laughs> – you find yourself looking around and saying, oh, yeah, there's one of those AEDs right there. You know, on the, you, know you go through a place, you know, some building or some company or like in a mall or whatever. And they go, oh, check it out. There's an AED right there. Um, yeah, it's, it, it has changed things, I think, for a lot of people and, and how they perceive where they're at and, and what would happen and makes them more aware. And for those that aren't aware of, you know, some of the positives that have come out of this, we know all the money that got donated to DeMar's Chasing M's Foundation, I mean, millions of dollars. He's using a lot of that money to basically purchase and then distribute defibrillators to youth sports organizations, uh, various businesses that don't have AEDs or can't afford one to put on the wall in case the unfortunate happens at their place of work or place of business. And he's just handing those things out like candy to people so that other people that may get struck with a similar type of cardiac event can be resuscitated, revived, whatever the case might be, because an AED is on hand and readily available. So um, as, as nearly tragic as that whole event was, the positives that have come out of it have been fantastic, and he is a big part of the reason why positives have emerged from a potential tragedy. Yeah, so the Bills uh, training staff received the uh, award last night for the Pat Tillman Award for service. Um, and it was cool to see. It's cool to see that uh, it got, still continues to get recognized as one of the more poignant moments of the entire season last year. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was really neat to see that. And obviously, as we get closer and closer to training camp, there will be a lot of eyes on DeMar to see his transition from spring workouts and practices to padded football. That is, that is the next step for him. And I'm, I'll be the last person to bet against him, but it's still going to be a step he has to take 
in this process as he gets back to real football. And you can only imagine what would be running through your head knowing the last time you put pads on. It almost killed you. you yeah, you, you almost didn't make it. So it's going to be very interesting to see his mindset and how he has mentally prepared himself for something that he knows is coming in just a few weeks. Yeah, it's not like he can't do that. It's not like he can't make a tackle now. He's not a lot. You know what I mean? Um, And even in the training camp setting, it's only thud, which, quite frankly, might be a nice way to transition back to full contact, if you think about it. Because thud isn't the same thing as live hitting. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that will be something that will be under the watchful eye of the media and probably for the fans as well that get out to training camp. Yeah, the preseason is going to come up on us in a minute, and he's it's going to be on the field in a preseason game for sure, and that's not thud. Yeah. Let's go around the NFL, brought to you by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And there is AFC East News. There are concerns about the job security of New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick among his friends. This according to Ben Volin of the Boston Globe, who's been on this show. These worries come as Patriots owner Robert Kraft has expressed his desire for the team to reach the postseason and win a playoff game after what has now become a five-year drought. The Patriots have not won a playoff game in five years, Steve. I was surprised it's that long. For some reason, I thought, ah, you know, well, they, they were just the there. Playoff. They've been to the playoffs. Well, they, they lost to the Bills in 21, right. got annihilated. It was, the, yeah, it was the perfect game by Josh Allen, the offense, remember. And then got bounced out of the playoffs last year by losing the game here in the Naheem Hines two-kick return game. That's they right. were in playoff contention, yeah, and the Bills wiped the, them out of the playoff. They picture. win, they're in. Yes, it was yeah. a win-and-in scenario. And they couldn't get it done. I tell you, you don't want to come here. Against a Bills team that was... You don't, you don't want to come here as an AFC team needing to get win to get in in week 18 here in Buffalo. Dolphins couldn't do it in 2020. They got beaten oh, by 30 got, points. They got, no, they got, they got stomped. Stomped. They got curb stomped. 56-26. And then Belichick's team, they were in that game. But Naheem Hines, 12 points on two returns for touchdowns, uh, sent the Patriots home early for the season, too. Yeah. No postseason. So now there is this concern that amongst Belichick's friends, like, hey, man, you don't make the playoffs this year. Mr. Kraft might yeah. be uh, getting a little impatient. And and the other part of this, Steve, is, you know, we saw this happen recently. Bob Kraft paid Gerard Mayo, former Patriots linebacker and defensive coach, a lot of money to not – even put himself in consideration for a head coaching job somewhere else. So the general consensus is Gerard Mayo would be the heir apparent after Bill Belichick calls it a career, or if Bob Kraft tells him his career is over in New England. I, knowing what I know about Bob Kraft, um, he will have a conversation with Bill. And I have a hard time seeing Robert Kraft saying, Bill, you're out. Uh, I think it will be – and now he may – do that, but it will be. It won't look like a firing. It'll look like Bill Belichick stepping away. Right, right off into the sunset. Yes, he'll. It, I think 
that's an organization that will allow Bill Belichick to step away the way he wants to step away. Whether that means not stepping away and forcing them to fire him if they want to, I don't know. I don't think that would happen. How do you – you can't – I don't know. How, how are you going to fire that guy? It's a, it's a tough spot for sure. It's a really difficult spot. A but, guy like Bill Belichick should be able to call his shot going out the door. As, as much as we don't like him here in Western New York, and we, you know, he's, a, he's the ogre that nobody wants. The guy, <clears throat> you got to tip your hat. And I think the organization would, I think would really, I think it would really struggle, not only for the organization, but with their fans and how it would play out that if they let him go any, in, in any other way other than on its own terms. I just think they're that deep in with him. Yeah, I, I, I see all of that. I do. At the same time, Robert Kraft is a businessman and a very successful one. And he didn't get as successful as he is by not making tough calls. And so I wonder how long the rope is. Like, I remember when Ralph Wilson said, Marv Levy can coach here as long as he wants. And indeed Bob that, Kraft has uh, never said that. Right. Just saying. You know what I mean? So I wonder how long is Bob Kraft's patience? Because let's not forget this either. Bob Kraft is not a spring chicken. He's pushing 80, probably wants to win another one before he turns things over to his son, Jonathan. You know what I mean? Like They've won six of them. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, They've won six of them. I think think there's more to it than that. I think he's he's more philosophical than that. Okay. I don't know if he's as cut and dry as that. Certainly everybody wants to win. I mean, come on. You don't get into this because you're, you're not a competitor. Yeah, I you just don't run a business the size of these guys run them and then buy a team if you're not competitive. I just think at this advanced age, knowing he's eventually going to be handing things off, presumably, to his son, Jonathan Kraft, who's been in the front office of the organization oh, sure. forever, that he doesn't want to hand him a bad product. You know what I mean? So I, I, I wonder where this goes. It's going to be interesting, and certainly Ben Volan's report has led to a lot of speculation about just what is the roadmap, especially if the Patriots are not competitive in what is going to be a staunchly competitive AFC East this year. Right. I mean, they, I don't know if they have the fourth best quarterback in the division. I don't think that you, and I don't know, maybe this is just me talking. I don't think you get, you think like that in a situation like that. If you're Robert Kraft and his son, I think you're giving him, you're, you're handing him a multi-billion-dollar entity anyway, right? And and it's a multi-billion-dollar entity whether you win thirteen games or whether you win six. Well, that was going to be my next question. What happens if the Patriots go seven and ten? Well, everybody's got to answer for that. And yeah, certainly, there's always a chance that it could go belly up for everybody. But that's. The reason Bill Belichick is still coaching there and has gone to 10 Super Bowls and won six of them and all that, da, 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 all the way down the line, and yeah. he's coached there for 20-plus years, is because that doesn't happen. And it hasn't happened. And usually somewhere along the line, somebody has a bad year. Mike Tomlin's an exception to that, and Bill Belichick has been an exception to that. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, you can say, yeah, if they win, if they go 3-14, and 14, yeah, okay. <laughs> they ain't going 3-14. and 14. Right. That's, yeah. If it doesn't if it doesn't go well though, the media sharks will be circling for sure. Well, not that that has any credence in what Bob Kraft decides to do or not do, but 
that yeah. it will only fan the flames of the coverage that storyline gets. Bob Kraft, by his own admission, hired Bill Belichick above, above the the cautions of everybody around him. Yeah. Nobody wanted him to hire Bill Belichick. And he did it anyway. Mm-hmm. So he won't be afraid to do whatever he wants in this case either. But I think knowing what I've – the interactions I've had with him, he, I, he values relationships mm-hmm. with yeah. his people and, the you know, and I think he would – Yeah. I think he would – there's enough I, of a track. I'll tell you what, there. I wouldn't be surprised if they've already had the conversation about, hey, if this, then this, you know, kind of, okay. you know, with Bill Belichick. Say, don't, that? Bill, don't worry about, we're going to, da, 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 you know, whatever. Whatever their right. plan is, I'm sure that Whether it's both, like a Bruce Arians move upstairs or whatever. Something. Yes. Something like that. I'll bet you they've had conversations of that ilk already okay. over the years. ESPN.com, as we know, is putting together their top 10 position lists for the upcoming NFL season. And Dawson Knox made the top 10 list at the tight end spot. Here's what they had to say about Dawson. Knox has graduated from role player in his first two years to Pro Bowl tight end and two-time recipient of a ranking in our top 10 series. His 15 touchdown receptions over the past two seasons ranked third among tight ends to only Kelsey and Kittle. Becoming more consistent as a pass catcher and overall feel for the game, an AFC executive said, he has improved each year. Buffalo's tight end plans have come into focus with the drafting of first-rounder Dalton Kincaid. The Bills used 12 personnel on 3.6% of their offensive snaps last season, the lowest mark in the league. That should change this year with Knox and Kincaid forming a potent duo. Kelsey, to no one's surprise, was ranked first on this list. Yeah, he's with Kittle right yeah. behind him. And Knox has been a red zone threat since his Absolutely. first year. You know, I mean, he's a big, big target. I mean, the guy's really tall, and he catches the ball well down there. And uh, I think with a a guy like Kincaid there, it's going to get harder to bend him, not easier. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, good I to like see him it. on the list, though. It is good to see him on the list, and I, I would agree with him. I think he has gotten better every year. So we'll see if that can continue as well. The NFL is getting closer, Steve, to its long-stated goal of $25 billion in annual revenue. With Amazon's new $1.2 billion media rights deal for Thursday Night Football now in effect, the league brought in $12 billion in national revenue, this according to Forbes magazine, which was a 7% increase over last year's $11.1 billion. Adding in local team earnings, the NFL estimated to close at about $20 billion in total revenue in 2022. Yeah, the, the goal for 25 was for 2027. They wanted to have $25 billion in revenue by 2027. Yeah. That's, you know, well, you can do the math. There's 32 teams and $25 billion. That's, that's a big fat piece of a billion dollars every year for each team. They're going to get there. Right. It's a matter of when, not Yeah, if. they're going to get there. I think it's growing like weeds in a watered garden. Correct. I mean, goodness gracious! You—it's a—it is a force on not only on the on the sports landscape in our country, but it's becoming more of a force in the political landscape. Even 
You know, people use it as this symbol of, well, they're doing it and they're doing it. It's, it's their when the, when the NFL stumbles, man, it's like everybody piles on, you know. It's like they're this big symbol of, you know, the sport. Everybody loves the sport, but they hate the league. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, all the, yeah, all, everything. It's just the, it's the craziest thing. Every, it puts, the league has become this pers- point of perspective for every issue that pops up on it. Mm-hmm. And it's in large measure due to the interest that they, and that is, for lack of a better way to put it, it's, an, it's, an, it's a, a calling card for how well this league is run. It's gotten so ubiquitous. Right. I mean, it's everywhere. And they don't rest on their laurels either. They're always seeking oh. out new revenue streams because they know the commodity that they are. It's going to grow. And, you know, if, it was a, if the NFL was a publicly traded stock – you want to buy because they haven't even, they've just begun to get into Europe. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's a, it's a global brand that has not, it doesn't have enough stores. A lot of it's a lot of its potential is still untapped. Right. In a, in a big way, in Uh, a global way. And so this 25 billion uh, in annual revenue that this goal that, that Roger Goodell has stated by 2027, that he wants them to get to it. That's, yeah, that's going to happen. But pff, they're going to twenty billion in total revenues this last year. Um, oof, man, that's big. That's big. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's definitely a matter of when, not if, for sure. Uh, one other small tidbit: there's been a lot of pub for Jameer Gibbs, the rookie first-round pick of the Detroit Lions. Remember, they drafted Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell in round one of the draft with their two first-round picks, and they are raving about Gibbs out there in Detroit, uh, saying he is going to be dynamic for them. Smaller player, but really fast, really elusive. They traded DeAndre Swift away to make room for him in a major role on that roster. So I guess we'll see when the pads go on, but it's, uh, I keep see his, seeing his name popping up, you know, on national football news wires. Mm-hmm. Oh, this guy's tearing it up. Oh, he's unbelievable. Oh, he's going to set the world on fire. All right. I look forward to it. Let's see what he can do. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm, and look, I watched enough Alabama games to know the guy can play, but, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm such an. Sometimes I shock myself at how old I am and how. Are you going to call yourself cro- a curmudgeon here? I'm, cr- I'm a crotchety old man. Yeah, I've heard that about seven guys every year for forty-two right? years. Yeah. You know, not forty-two. Seven guys for forty. I love the quick math you just. Came seven up. guys a year for like <laughs> for however long I've been around. Okay. 85 was my first year as a rookie. Nobody said that about me. I'll say that. I'll start out by saying that. But there's always guys like that. This guy's going to be awesome. This guy's going to be great. And, you know, maybe one in a hundred of them is transformative. The rest of them are, yeah, good player. You know, really good player. So, Jameer Gibbs, I wish you the best. Jack Campbell, I wish you the best. You know, I'll be watching. Yeah. I 
I'm not buying a jersey. Just put it that way. It's a wait and see. Yeah. It's a wait and see for me, dog. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of where we are. That's right. Uh, okay. So that is Around the NFL, presented by Kaleida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. Topic of discussion today. This one's a fun one, I thought. Uh, we all know the main players on the Bills roster. They are familiar names to just about every Bills fan, whether casual or diehard. But every year, some people get those favorite long shots on the roster. It's kind of like mm-hmm. you're at the horse track, and mm-hmm. you just fall in love with a 200-to-one shot. Yeah. The, and there are guys like that. You fall in on, love with that name. Exactly. You don't know anything about the horse, nothing. And it's like, oh, I don't know how you're not – got to, you know. Christian Wade, for example. There um, you go. You know, the international player here that was a running back, he has a touchdown in a preseason game. All of a sudden, he's everybody's favorite to make the roster. So with that in mind, we are asking you today, which under-the-radar player on Buffalo's roster do you want to break out during this year's training camp? If you've got a favorite, let us know at 803-0550, Could be a guy that was a rookie last year, didn't really do much, and now you're hoping this year in training camp he breaks out and lights the world on fire. Maybe it's a complete unknown guy that you feel – Maybe has something special, and you want to see that in training camp where all of a sudden the guy, like Christian Benford last year, for example, six-round pick, FCS football in college, and the guy goes from third string to week one starter in a span of a month. Who is that guy for you this year on the Bills roster? I got to tell you, that was one of the most amazing stories Oh, Benford? Benford. It was a precipitous rise. And I give you credit. You're the one who noticed it to me, pointed out to me first. Hey, did you see this guy, Benford? I go, well, you know, six round. He's running second team now. What about him? Well, he's running second team. And even then, I was like, well, you know, they're just, you know. (laughs) They got to make it fair. They're getting, you know, they they promise everybody they get a chance, so they're they're yeah. giving him his run. And Tre'Davious so White wasn't practicing. Tre- with the team yeah, at that so there's time. so everybody was notched up one notch in the hierarchy of corners. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Then it's like, then the next day it was like he was like going like getting mixed in. For he was getting mixed team. in for the for the ones, and then I was like, I was hes- I was like, I shut up and looked, you know. <laughs> I just got quiet, and I was like, oh, my gosh, he's right. Yeah. And then, and sure enough, week one, the guy is lining up. Against the defending Super Bowl champions. That's an unbelievable that, that, story. That wasn't a precipitous rise. That was a meteoric rise. That was, yes. Let's just hope it wasn't a comet-like well, rise. Well, right. Yeah, but no supernovas here. It was, it was amazing. And so that's kind of what we're looking That's for where now. this question is comes from today. I mean, yeah. we thought back. And, you know, we always – I mean, good grief. We, we do this more than anybody because the fans go out there and they go, most get people show up for one day and they go home. You know, they just want to see the team and do it. We're there every day. Right. And all the people on the staff are there every day. All the trainers, the families, the friends. We've got – there's maybe 150 people that are there every day. Yeah. And we all Embedded. stand around and we're, and we're all casual because it's training camp. So we're all talking like – we, and we have the opportunity because we don't always get to do that. Yeah. So everybody's like, this, yeah, that guy, yeah, yeah. they're all whispering. That guy's my guy. Yeah. He's going to make. 
track. It's like we're at the horse track. Uh, exactly. That number six horse. <laughs> That's exactly if you it. got a chance, put five dollars. We down. are picking horses, and it is so. <laughs> and I gotta say that for me in this day and age, that's the funnest part about it. Yeah. I'm picking a guy nobody knows about that you do, and so that's and where then he comes th- through for you. And yeah, <laughs> he came through for me. I was He's right. coming down the stretch. He's gonna make it. <laughs> Come on, Benford. Come on, Benford. Come on, Benford. Come on, Benford. Yes, he started on week one. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. <laughs> There's nothing like it. We're sitting there at training camp going, we I, are, like, we, I like that Benford course. As, I like that Benford. Come on, man. As you He's, say. The, the horse as is a you dog. Say, as you say often on this show, we are goners. We are goners. <laughs> we are total goners. <laughs> we are, we are we standing there. We serious problem. <laughs> we, are, we are rooting them down the finish. We deserve to He's come home. Make it. He's going to make it. We deserve to come home and have our wives look at us cross-eyed like, what is wrong Oh, they give you that, that totally disgusted what look. What is wrong with that, you? Like, they just shake their head and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> So you let us know, which under-the-radar player do you want to see break out at this year's Bills training camp? <laughs> 803-0550, the number to get on board, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at one bills live there's there's a lot of choices if you just go on buffalobills.com and scroll down the roster you're like oh right i'd like to see that guy yeah show up at this camp and make a name for himself it's easy to root for and basically look at the bills roster like you're racing for him i mean that's exactly right like when it's all said and done it's like i should have known right oh yeah that's that racing form mentality you go back and look at the racing form god you know i should have figured that out that that horse was gonna win yeah that's the quintessential Mm -hmm. race horsing the racing form you reminded me of my grandfather now all right here we go we got to take a break but when we come back it is all phone calls all the time for the rest of the show so if you got an under the radar player in mind you want to see break out of training camp let us know 803-0550-1888-550-2550 We're back with your phone calls next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Going under the radar for training camp here. Give us your under-the-radar player that you want to see break out at Bills Training Camp at St. John Fisher later this month. We're going to go to the phones where we do have an open line for you at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. Numbers to get on board. Or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. We go now to lead us off today. The leadoff man is Josh in Rochester. What do you got for us, Josh? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, how are you doing, guys? Um, I honestly think the one pick that I would say that is the X factor or could be an X factor is Justin Shorter. Uh, just based on the fact that that's a style of player that we have not had on the Bills roster in some time. Um, and I think if we can get him on board and give him that rise that, as you guys said, Benford um, you know, or anybody like that has had in the past, if we can get Justin Shorter on board, I think that would be something great for the Bills going forward. And what kind of receiver do you think he is that the Bills haven't had, just out of curiosity? Just that big body. Just that big body, you know, we've had, you know, the Stephon Diggs. We've had the Jameson Crowders. We've had the Isaiah McKenzie's. We haven't had a Justin Shorter in a long time, that body style. I, I get that. And you know what, Josh, I'll, I'll say this. I don't know that we've ha- had a really good one uh, since Josh has been here, a big-bodied guy. They had uh, 
who's the big dude they had? Kelvin Benjamin. Kelvin Benjamin, but he was, you know, he wasn't shorter. Uh, and we said it earlier in the off season when these guys started showing up. It's not just shorter. It's a lot of these guys are bigger than the guys that they've had before. You know, they've got Aitman, Marcel Aitman, Patman, 6'4". Tyrell Shavers, Patman, Keyshawn six, Johnson. Uh, all these guys are over six foot. Yeah, they're bigger dudes. Uh, shorter's just another one of those guys. So I think you, you may be on to something, not just because it's shorter, but because of that idea that they haven't had a, a big physical handful of a guy at wide receiver since Josh has been here. They've got they had some really good dudes, no question. I mean, they've been prolific offensively, but that's a body type and a kind of style of play that they have not had, at least at a high level, right? So yes. maybe you're right, Josh, I, and I get, your, I get the logic there. And Shorter is a guy that, you know, went into college with a, a pretty high degree of pedigree. I mean, he was the number one receiver recruit in the nation uh, in his graduation year and had offers from just about everywhere, went to Penn State, though, and could not climb the depth chart. He was behind people like Jahan Dodson and K.J. Hamler, both of whom now play in the NFL, transferred to Florida, had a little more success there because he got on the field. Um, But I don't know that he ever lived up to the number one receiver crew in, in the country for his graduating class. And I got to believe that that has put a chip on his shoulder just from listening to him on his first conference call with the Western New York media after he got drafted. He basically said, just give me my chance. I'm going to set this league on fire. And I was like, oh, that's that's a pretty confident talk there, Um, especially for a fifth round draft choice. So we'll see. We'll see what he brings to the table in training camp. But, yeah, that would be an exciting development because that would just make the receiving core have an element that. I don't know if anybody was banking on just yet. I think it's a wait and see with him. Right, right. But I like the, I like the take. And oh no, I do. And I get it. Uh, and I we we had talked about this earlier in the off season. Like we said, when we started, when they started having OTAs and the, the rookie mini camps, and you know, all the stuff. You know, the, the where they can't play football. Guys just standing around. I was like, dude, these guys are all big. You know, I was I was surprised by that. Let's get back to the phones. We go to Robert in Alden next. What do you got for us, Robert? I think an under-the-radar player could be Cahil Shakir. He was overshadowed by Isaiah McKenzie. So I think he could really burst in training camp with his like aggressive play style and just jumping up for the ball and stuff. Yeah, okay. okay. I like that. Um, he certainly finished the season strong when he got a little more time on the field. Josh uh, demonstrated in the playoff game against the Dolphins that he has he trusts him implicitly, you know, going to him on big down and distance situations. And Khalil came through. And I thought his game was just starting to reach critical mass, and then the season ended. So, it kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, like he was trending. I want to – when we – if we get a chance to talk to him on our show, you know, during the course of training camp, that's one question I want to ask him. Did you feel like things were finally falling into place and then the season ended? You're like, ah, I was just getting a handle on this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I would like to know, too, and we'll, we never will. I'd like to ask Sean McDermott and, you know, Chad Hull, who was here last year as a wide receiver coach, what, you know, how'd that work? 
you know, because when he got on the field, it seemed like he was productive, caught the ball extremely well, even in tight windows, but it seemed to be crescendoing at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Now, was that due to the opportunity? Obviously, it was because of the opportunities he was given, but why did they, those come? Was somebody else, like, stumbling? Was Miss McKenzie not the guy they thought he was going to be? Cole Beasley was, you know, was washed up. You know, what, what was the deal right. with his added opportunity? Because certainly when he got in there, Josh didn't hesitate to throw him the ball. Um, I'd like to know, what was he what they were they seeing something during the week? About, was it all about him, or was it about other guys? Yeah, you know what I mean. That's that's kind of what I'd like to know, and I don't know if that we'll ever be able to find that out. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know that we will. I don't know that we'll get a definitive answer on that. But let's go back to the phones. Kevin in Lackawanna is waiting. What do you got for us, Kevin? Hey guys, yeah, Khalil Secure was definitely my pick as well, and I just want to touch back on that because you know it seems like everything was falling into place with him in the latter half of last season, every time he was out there, you know, slightly bigger than your average slot receiver, very good route runner, um, and very hard work ethic, right? But the concern there is, you know, we made some off-season pickups like Trent Sherfield, um, Hardy, right? So there's some concerns there. I think if we expose him to a higher volume of play, um, he could really have a chance to shine. But, you know, we've added a lot of off-season depth. So I guess that's an additional concern. Well, con- competition is where you should want to see it. I mean, you, you, you're not just going to go in and say, yeah, Shakir's our guy no matter what. Uh, you bring in guys to compete for the job. So if, if somebody else outperforms him, that's kind of where you want to be because uh, as good as you thought or hoped he was going to be, this guy's whoever that is going to be is better. That's the way it's got to be. Uh, but, yeah, I like we said – he was the most I, – I think he was the most pleasant surprise in a bitter end to the season, if I might put it that way. He's one of the most pleasant surprises in a bitter end to the season. You could make a case for other guys like um, Naheem Hines and the way he was returning kicks and that kind of thing. James but Cook kind of had Cook, flashed yeah. a little bit more down the yeah. stretch. Um, even Kyir Elam was, was playing yes. better, right? So there were some guys at the end of the season that, you know, gave you, gave you a little bit of excitement for their future and – Shakir's one of them for sure, um, and because he's offense on the offense, and because you know, when they give you the ball in an NFL game, it's, it means something. Um, I think we all kind of would like to see more of it. I don't know that, and to your point, I don't know if it's going to happen because there are other guys who are going to have their share as well. Most most notably, the first round draft pick this year. Yeah, um, Dalton Kincaid. We'll see. Yeah. It'll be interesting to watch. There is breaking NFL news, courtesy of NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, who is reporting that the Jets and all-pro defensive tackle Quinnen Williams have agreed to terms on a four-year, $96 million deal, largest second contract ever for a defensive tackle. Williams will get $66 million in guarantees as part of the deal. So... The year of the defensive tackle continues. Deron Payne, Jeffrey Simmons, Dexter Lawrence, I mean, Ed Oliver, uh, and now Quinn and Williams. I mean, just, and we're still waiting on Chris Jones in Kansas City, who's going to get a big deal. So Quinn and Williams, four years, $96 million. Yowza. 
that is uh, that is some big money. So that is one thing the Jets no longer have to worry about being an issue with their media or on hard knocks. That's a it's a big number. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. And you knew it was going to happen. The guy's a dominant force, and and we've seen a trend now as well. I, I maybe we're getting to a point where it's it's so obvious, and analytics are so real. They know it's what we've been saying. You got to draft big, strong, talented guys because athletes are everywhere. Regular, normal size athletes. The guys six one, six yeah. two, and one hundred ninety, two hundred pounds, or whatever that are everywhere. Every college campus has got a bunch of those guys, but nobody is 6'4", 335, and can run and do somersaults and jump up and down and, and you know, outmaneuver people. Those guys are rare. That's why they're drafted high, and that's why you got to keep them when you get them. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to think that at the beginning of this offseason, Deron Payne of Washington signs a four-year, $90 million deal. Here we are just two months later, and Quinn and Williams getting $6 million more in total value of the contract like it's crazy how the increases go in just a few short months but there it is second largest second contract ever for a defensive tackle and while the defensive tackle values continue to go up and up and up and up (laughs) the running back values keep coming down 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 and those are two positions that are interconnected because defensive tackles that are worth their salt can stop the run and they're considered a valuable commodity Meanwhile, the guy running the ball is not because we're in a passing league now. It's – I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm projecting my own feelings about this on, onto the situation, but it's a, hu- a bigger drop-off in production and ripple effect of your whole defense when you go from a top-flight defensive tackle to a Billy Bag of Donuts defensive tackle. It's a huge – it's a much bigger drop-off than when you go from a Saquon Barkley elite running back down to a run-of-the-mill Joey Bag of Donuts running back. It's a, it's a much smaller drop. Okay. Because you, fat, they're all fast. Because the all, big, strong, fast guys are rarer than well, 5'10", 200-pound running backs. That's right. Yeah. That's right. There's just a bigger drop-off with those big, huge guys. Those, the pool isn't as deep. The genetic pool is the dictator of how that's going to run. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, you got to pay the more valuable and rare commodity. You got to pay for that. And that's what those guys are. Because I'll say this too you think of most people can't get their mind around what this is like. I've, I've done it in a different position in, in the past life. But you really got to get your mind around having a job where it's your job to physically encounter another human being hard and push them or tackle them to the ground against their will. And most people never know what that's like when you're doing it for keeps and you're getting paid to do it when it's your living. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of mental challenges there to get around that you get, you know, if you don't, you know, because particularly if you go in there and you don't feel right, you got a sore shoulder, sore leg, sore knee, whatever, and you got to kind of forget about it for a minute. And you've got to disengage your sense of self-preservation. I was really good at that in my job. You got to kind of like throw your self-preservation out the window and just go. And that's, it's rare to have a big dude who can, who will do that for his job. Play. I, I did it like 
four or five times a game, I'd be actually on the play, right, where you do that. He, there were like 150 snaps, like 75 snaps a game of defense. Yeah. It's, it's a big ask. That's why these guys are that's, – that's, too, why you get guys like Marcel Darius. You give him a contract like that, and it's like, man, I'm glad I don't have to work that hard anymore. Because yeah. like, it's hard. It is a hard ask. So that's why some teams are very hesitant to give those guys a big check because it's like, you know what, I'm just – man, I got the money. I'm taking it out of here. I don't – man, I am not going to fight this guy. It's – it is a – that is the crux of the NFL right there, and that's why it's different than other sports, yeah. some other sports. Because it takes a different physical and mental constitution every week to play that game yeah. and play it well. Yeah. We have to take a break here, but when we come back, more of your phone calls. Debbie and Lockport will lead us off, but we have an open line for you at 803-0550, Give us your under-the-radar player you want to see break out at Bill's training camp this summer. More of your phone calls next here on One Bill's Live. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. The Buffalo Bills strive to provide our fans with the best game day experience in the NFL, and we need you to help make it happen. Join the Buffalo Bills and our Highmark Stadium service partners for a stadium job fair on Saturday, July 22nd in the Ad Pro Sports Training Center Fieldhouse from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Available positions include ticket takers, security, parking lot flaggers, concessions, and housekeeping. B a part of the team want to get back to our callers holding at 803-0550-1888-550-2550 there are open lines for you to jump on board if you wish otherwise hit us up on the tweet sheet at one bills live but we go back to the phones and leading us off here is debbie in lockport what do you got for us debbie hey chris and steve uh, first time caller can't believe i got through um gonna pick shakir is a breakout for the training camp Okay. And hope that he has a good season. Um, if they use him more than they have been, he should have a good season. Um, also, we love Steve, and he should be in the Hall of Fame already, but we're hoping now with a senior that he gets put in. The Hall of Fame hopefully gets it right this time. Um, so that's, that's all But. Go, Steve. We love you, and we watch your show every day. <laughs> Thanks, Debbie. Thanks, appreciate Debbie. you. That's nice. I appreciate the sentiment. I'm, and I know it. <clears throat> Brownie and I. I tell Brownie we don't want to talk about it on the show, but I really appreciate. All, I've gotten a, a ton of stuff, obviously on, on Twitter and stuff on my social and social media account. That you know, all the well wishes. It's been great, and it is an it's an honor to be on that con, in that conversation. Um, but let's just we're just gonna wait and see, um, right? And Shakir seems to be the the flavor of the day. And I think too, it, what we saw at the end of last year, I think in large measure, I've been kind of thinking that they had Steph Diggs, Steph Diggs is a weapon and they know about him. They're going to defend him. Nobody knew about Shaquille uh, Shakir last year. They didn't know Khalil was going to come in and be able to play the way he did. So he's the guy they left open. And that's who Josh found much like he found Isaiah McKen McKenzie in the New England game two years ago, and it's, you know, 12 targets, 11 receptions. He beat them, crushed them. They kept giving it to him, and Josh kept taking it. I think that's a little bit of what you saw in the Cincinnati game. Josh kept taking what was there. Uh, Miami game as well, the, the last game, uh, the, uh, the 
the playoff was the wild card, the wild card game. Uh, you kept taking it. That's something I think is two things about it. One, Josh is going to the guy that the defense has given him. That's a, it's a huge statement about the quality of your quarterback when he doesn't care who's getting it. He's going to the guy he's supposed to go to because the coverage dictates it, and he's on it. That's a plus. The second thing is we need some more help for Steph Diggs, and they didn't have it, enough of it last year. Right. Um, they will see what they have this year because they've done a lot to refurbish that group. Yeah, I mean, because if you add it all up last year, people are like, why was the offense such a heavy lift last year? Well, there's a number of reasons why, but first of all, You've got Gabe Davis having a down year, 52% catch rate. Even he would tell you that's below his standard. So now the guy that you were expecting to have to step into the number two role and perform capably after a strong postseason doesn't come through for you there the way you had anticipated. The slot receiver role is compromised by the season-ending injury to Jamison Crowder in week four. And then Isaiah McKenzie, when asked to step in and fill that role full-time, isn't consistent enough to fill that role for you. Uh, And then you take it a step further and Dawson Knox numbers while still respectable, kind of came back to the mean a little bit after a nine touchdown season last year. So you roll all that together and it's like, Oh wow. Josh really didn't have anybody else to count on besides Steph in the passing game. When you think about it, at least on a regular basis. And so now I think that is part of the reason you saw the investment in the off season with Deontay Hardy, with uh, Trent Sherfield, and Dalton Kincaid. And Dalton Kincaid with your first-round pick and Justin Shorter as, you know, development-type depth. And, like we said in the last segment, when one of the callers, you know, picked Justin Shorter as his guy, they made a concerted effort, it seems to us, to get bigger at that position. Yeah, size, right? Yeah, they so they... They put a, it's obvious they are putting a lot of thought into the mindset of getting Josh more help outside. Plus, um, that arms race we spoke about at the end of last season. It just seems like you got to keep up with Cincinnati. They got those three guys mm-hmm. in Cincinnati that can really go. Um, the Chiefs are, are going to continue to stack it with Kelsey and company. Kadarius, Tony. Kadarius, they got all these guys. The Bills are going to keep up with them. Now, they, the Bills did statistically last year, but at the end of the season, they ran out of gas for a multitude of reasons. Uh, and I think they said, you know, listen, we're keeping up. We're not going to, we're not going to sit back and, uh, and away they go. I, I'm totally with it. Uh, we get it. We're getting a lot of Shakir calls today and, you know, we're, we're chewing it up pretty good. I, you know, the more you think about it, the more you start splitting hairs. But I don't think there's any question that the Bills felt like at the end of the last season, they, and they continue to think that they are in an arms race. they yeah. got to score points against everybody. And for those of you, like Debbie, who are pulling for Steve to uh, be the Seniors Committee nominee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, here are the dates you need to remember. The Seniors Committee will reduce the current pool of 31 semifinalist players, former players, down to 12 candidates on July 27th. And then that list will be whittled down to a maximum of three on August 22nd. So in a couple of months, we'll kind of know where everything stands with regard to the Seniors Committee 
nominees. We have to take a break here, but hour number two is more of your phone calls. Which under-the-radar player do you want to see break out during Bill's training camp this summer? 803-0551-888-550-2550. More of your phone calls and tweets at One Bills Live. We'll be back in just a couple. Stay tuned. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Hour number two. Here we are, ready to roll. And uh, talking about under-the-radar players that have a chance to break out at Bill's training camp this summer. Maybe a name that not many people are thinking of, but you've been given some thought to. Say, hey, you know what? I think this guy is ready to emerge. You let us know who that player is. 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Or hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. We go right back to the phones and to Cassidy in Batavia. What do you got for us, Cassidy? Hey, hey Chris. Hey, Steve. Uh, this might not be a player that a lot of people will say uh, just because of everything that happened last year, but I'm going to say uh, DeMar Hamlin. Okay. I thought he stepped up pretty big when uh, Micah Hyde got hurt last year. Um, and honestly, if he can overcome everything that happened in the Bengals game and just be a tackling machine, I think that that would be uh, – just a good story and honestly pretty awesome. Definitely would be a good story. I don't think there's any debate oh, yeah. about that because, uh, you know, just about everybody and their brother is pulling for him uh, to make the successful comeback and get all the way back to, you know, not only playing in pads and hitting people again and playing real football, mm-hmm. but making the 53-man roster. So, yeah. And that's the thing, too. Think about him coming back and actually just making the team. Um, that's a big – that's a big accomplishment, um, and you can spin that any way you want. You can think about think about what a story would be if you know if he has a, f- a phenomenal season or a season of a lifetime. The Bills and all their hopes and dreams come true, and uh, that guy's in the middle of it. That's you couldn't sell that m- script to Hollywood. It's too corny, right? It's too hokey. But man, oh man, wouldn't it be cool? <laughs> would fun to think be, about. Yeah, it'd be pretty. Awesome. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, we have to go back to the phones to Mark and West Seneca next. What do you got for us, Mark? Hey, Chris. Hey, Steve. Uh, I, maybe, I don't consider this maybe an actual breakout of the guy I'm going to talk about uh, because he's been a starter in the league. But he would be a breakout for the Bills, and that's Rapp, Taylor Rapp. Okay. Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is um, as much as I like to call and complain about Dorsey with you guys, I think he's, they're going to be fine on the offensive you know, they'll, they'll get it right. They'll score enough points. And like Steve says, they've been prolific, even though it was a heavy lift at times. But uh, I really think we need to figure out a way to use rap against some of these prolific passing offenses in order to slow these teams down in the playoffs, uh, assuming we get there. Uh, and, and I think that's been one of our biggest, biggest problems in the playoffs uh, with our defense uh, overall in winning these games. Uh, we haven't been able to slow teams down, much less stop them. And I think if they can figure out a way to use rap against these passing teams, 
without giving up too much against the run, uh, that's going to go a long way in letting us finally get to the Super Bowl. That's just my thought. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Mark. Um, last year, it's, you know, in the, in the loss to Cincinnati, and I'm not, I'm not discounting what you say, except maybe I am, maybe I am a little bit. Um, the Bengals scored exactly their average of points that they had throughout the regular season. Uh, so whatever success the Bengals had or didn't have, they were about average against the Bills. Um, the Bills have had pretty good success against the Chiefs as well, uh, albeit outside of 13 seconds. Uh, they, they have hung in there with that team and matched up pretty well with them defensively. Um, I think the one thing they missed in the last – in you know in the matchups with them has been a guy like Vaughn and Vaughn made the big difference in their game last year in the regular season when he was you know pressuring uh, Mahomes and he got him on the ground a couple of times and then forced that last game clinching interception. So I think defensively the Bills have been really good against those teams, but in crucial moments maybe like you know like the end of the uh, the game when Gabe Davis's four touchdown game the thirteen second game you can, you can certainly call that into question. Um, it's been a team that has been really good defensively. But I, I'm with you in the fact that Taylor Rapp was brought here for a reason. Certainly, they don't want to get left searching because um, last year, DeMar Hanlon was actually the third guy to replace Micah Hyde. Um, the second guy – or the second guy to play, replace Micah Hyde. The second guy was um, – um, and I can't remember his – who was it? The, it was Jaquan Johnson. Jaquan Johnson came in. He didn't get it done or got – and got benched, and they put DeMar in. Uh, so I think they didn't want to get caught in that spot and wanted to have a quality guy there not only to compete for both Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer's spot, but also to be there in case one of them went down again. Both those guys are in their early to mid-30s. you got to be ready for that, uh, as, as was proven last year. Poyer was an absolute hero the way he suited up every single week right. last week, last year. They don't want to have a – it'd be better if you had a guy like Taylor Rapp give Poyer two weeks off to come back healthy, right, and put Rapp on the field. They didn't have, any, they didn't have that kind of depth last year. Uh, as good as Jaquan and DeMar played, they weren't as good as Poyer and Hyde. Rapp has a chance to get in that ballpark. I think part of the reason why you could almost classify Rap as an under-the-radar player, even though he's a proven starter in this league, is because people are naturally expecting Poyer and Hyde to remain the tandem at the safety position with both of them back in the fold after Poyer re-signed with the club. And that is only natural to assume that. And so people are like, well, where does that leave Rap? Like, what is he really going to do to break out? I think he is too good a player for Sean McDermott and his staff to not find a role for him in some way, shape, or form, whether it is as the dime package safety or maybe it's some other iteration of that. Maybe he is a hybrid linebacker at times. So I I think he's too good a player to keep off the field defensively. So now it is incumbent upon the coaching staff to find a way to incorporate him into a game plan each week to get him plays on the field so he can make plays for that defense. That's kind of where I yeah, sit with I, that. Now, how does he emerge and, you know, break out in training camp in what could be maybe a more limited role than he's used to playing? Well, I don't know. He's probably going to get his fair share of safety snaps. It just might not be with the ones. 
at training camp. It's it's the same problem, and, and it's people always love to do it because it's offense, but it's the same problem for Sean McDermott and the defensive staff as it is for Ken Dorsey and the offensive staff trying to find creative ways to use James Cook, Khalil Shakir, and Dalton Kincaid in the mix with Steph Diggs and Dalton not or Dawson Knox. You gotta have so many creative ways to mix those guys in and find ways to use them. In offense, you can kind of go out there and see how the defense is gonna match up and then see if you can take advantage of it. Same thing on defense. You put Taylor Rapp out there and you sit down who? Terrell Dodson? You sit down Dodson or you sit down A.J. Klein or Spectre or whoever the middle linebacker is. You put a third safety on and let Matt Milano be the mic for a minute. And you see how this other how the offense is going to match up with it. And if they start to get big and physical with you and you got Milano and Rapp there as your linebackers and you're getting out pushed, then you got to switch. But if you go out there, and, and, and the Bills have been notorious for this. They got the same 11 guys on the field all the time. It was Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, and the five DBs that we all know. Yeah. And four rotating defensive linemen. And they rush four most of the time. That's, that, they were notorious for that. So now, Sean McDermott's taken over the defense. They may try to do some different things, but if that's that same philosophy, they may force you to throw it against three safeties and three corners and one linebacker, Matt Milano, who is a, a wizard at coverage. So then what are you going to do? They may force you to just hand the ball off all day. And all of a sudden, it's a third and four or third and five plus, And now you got to throw it against them, and you can't. So they may get into that. But that's the creative aspect that you got to put on the defensive side. We always talk about it on the offensive side. But, you know, maybe McDermott's going to say, listen, all right, here's what we're going to do. And, and float it out there. Because the offense still has to match up with that somehow, some way. True. The, the, you mentioned that you could see Milano shifting over, Rap coming onto the field, and whoever the mic backer is is off the field. I don't know if Milano's calling it, though. Because when you think about it, you know, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, they do a lot of direction and communication on the field. I would think Rap has that in his toolbox as well from his days with the Rams. Wouldn't surprise me if they have Rap do that. Because I think if you think sure. about Milano as a player, Steve, and I'm not trying to disagree with you in any way. All I'm saying no, is right. Milano's skill set is rooted in instincts. And if you've got him thinking about making checks and other things for other people, I think you rob him of his instincts because now he's yeah. thinking about the 10 other guys. Do I have them lined up right? I just say, you get on the field and you go. Yeah. Rap will handle this, and, you know, and off we go from there. Yeah, and it's fun to think about, too, because you put Rap on the field with Poyer and Hyde, and Tredavious White, Kyrie Elam, and Taron Johnson, you got like six DBs out there virtually with Milano. And then all of a sudden, you start moving guys around. Well, you got three guys who know both safeties' positions. Yep. And, and all three of them can come down and cover a receiver. Right. They can all come down and cover. They can also all come down and blitz, or they can all come down and get in the run game because they're safeties. And all, and of all a sudden, three of them are veterans. Yeah. Too. So all, all of a sudden, you got three guys on that demon. You know where they're at. Because that's what Hyde and Poyer do so well. They're yeah. moving. Disguise. They're, you, why, if you watch game film once in a while, and I was watching this in 
during OT. You got those guys walking in the wrong direction at the snap of the ball, and all of a sudden it snaps, and two of them move completely different to a different area than they, they, you thought it looked like they were going before the snap. And they sprint there, and they're there in time, and, and the quarterback's going, oh, wait, what? And that's all you need. So if you got three guys doing that, instead of the way the success Poyer and Hyde have had just doing it with two, and all of a sudden you mix in a guy like, you know, like Rap, it really becomes a mental gymnastics for a quarterback who's got 2.5 seconds to get rid of it. Yeah, I really kind of felt, and I said this when I appeared on uh, the morning show here in Buffalo with uh, Jeremy and Joe, that the way Frazier called this defense – it was pretty vanilla because he relied on the talent he had at his disposal with his starting 11. I think Sean, while he respects the talent level he has on the defensive side of the ball this year, which I think in many respects you can argue is upgraded at most positions, maybe middle linebacker is the exception, I would anticipate he's going to get a little bit more exotic with the scheme, you know, to the point we're trying to make here with Taylor Rapp. And so because of that, I, I think there is going to be more for opponents of the Bills to prepare for each week because they're going to spin the dial, I think, a little bit more than they have the last few years. I think that is one noticeable change we should all anticipate. Have yet to get to the tweet sheet. We're going to do that now. Tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. We'll be moving people here this week uh, pretty soon get people up there, get all the equipment up there for training camp at St. John Fisher. But Garvey on the tweet sheet says, Naheem Hines, I want to see that Dorsey has a plan to incorporate him into the passing game. He can bring another level to the offense with Cook out of the backfield. Yeah, you put those two guys back there and three receivers on the field, that's a speed package. Holy crow. Yeah. Uh, And everybody can catch it. I think it's great. Uh, I haven't heard much from Hines, you know, from the from the listeners and the fans. Right. Um, I think a lot of people are hoping for that. I think they did need to get faster a little bit. Um, Hardy's certainly an answer to that. Sherfield's a guy that can really scoot. Uh, and then Cook and and Hines can move. Cook Cook can go, and so can Hines. I, I th- Cook's a four four two guy. Speed is a really really underappreciated aspect of this offense because it hasn't they haven't had it in the years past cook might have him give him a chance to do that um we'll see i'm i just think it's really fun to think about it. and it's easy for us to sit out there and say and and like wave our hand at ken dorsey and say be creative be creative you know and so, make it look better yeah make it look better <laughs> you know fix it you know and and I, I, I get all of that, but he's working with guys who have different skill sets, and he's working against a defense every week that's different than the one he faced the week before. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a lot to do and, and very little time to do it, but I think he's – you think about it. You know, I, I, I'm kind of excited about seeing Ken Dorsey year two and to grow a little bit and to see him go – see him and Josh go back, look at what they did week to week last year and – evolve with it and say, okay, oh, we could do better here and here we could do yeah. this better. And you know what? We're still doing this. What's the problem? Let's fix that. What would we have to do? And then address all those things. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think I think Josh is going to come back and I think they're going to take a step forward this year. It'll be fun to see. I, they're going to be a really good offense again. 
and it's uh, and I don't think it'll look exactly like it did last year. Tiffany on the tweet sheet says, I'm excited to see Trent Sherfield compete this summer. I have a feeling he's going to make a few heads turn with his run after the catch capabilities. Yeah, very steadily we're making our way through the receiving core here, Steve. We've heard a lot of Shakir support. We just got Trent Sherfield. So we even had some Justin Shorter, you know, the rookie. So it's interesting. People are focused on the receiver spot. Yeah, I get it. I'm one of the guys that we haven't really talked about, and I get for for good reason. I mean, it's like Leonard Floyd. I think could thrive in this defense. Oh, um, particularly if Vaughn comes back healthy, and I think Leonard Floyd is going to be a guy that is going to make a difference for this defense. Mm. They are going to be significantly better up front on the pass rush week in week out. Um, that's even before Vaughn comes back or whatever, however yeah. long he's out. Um, Leonard Floyd is a really good player. He's a veteran player with a lot of ability. He's a really, really effective pass rusher. He's got a lot of bend, and he's fast off the edge. Um, so I think this is a guy that has a chance to emerge as a difference maker on a team that has been really good defensively up to this point. Um but is in a position to give him the opportunities that, you know, that he's perfectly suited to take advantage of. Andrea on the tweet sheet says, is Hardy under the radar? Everyone's talking Diggs, Davis, and Kincaid. This guy could be a safety valve for Josh. I think a lot of people look at Deontay Hardy, Steve, and they see that he's relatively the same size as McKenzie. He's actually an inch shorter than McKenzie. Um and they say, oh, okay, like, you know, a gadget guy underneath, all that stuff. I, I think he's more dynamic than that. I think Deontay Hardy is going to surprise some people and open some eyes with his game-breaking ability. I mean, you can pull it up on YouTube or wherever online. Just look up Deontay Hardy highlights. This guy is a flash. I mean, he outruns angles on defenders like you watch a player it looks like the defender has an angle on Hardy and all of a sudden he's past him and down the sideline and you're like whoa where did that come from I mean he is a dynamic speed athlete he's not gonna break tackles I mean he's five foot six right I mean guy's an inch shorter than I am but that guy can move man yeah he's very he's really really fast and that's the kind of thing that puts pressure on a defense and makes them react faster than they would have to otherwise. It makes them bail out of areas that other players can get into and be open. Um, he is a problem with his speed. Matchup problem. Yes, yeah. he's a matchup problem. And now sure. you're right. He does, guys like that don't break a lot of tackles, but they do make some plays that other players cannot make as yeah, well. Yeah, because nobody can catch them. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Can't, can't tackle him if you can't catch well, him. Well, plus it's one of the one of those things where he gets in there. You throw him a, a, one of those little whip bubble screens. Yeah, whip route. Or, you yeah. get two guys out in front of him or one guy and, and or hand it to him on a on a quick end around, and he gets lost in that traffic. There, it sounds crazy, but yeah, you lose the guy behind a guy the size of Deion Dawkins and Trent Edwards and or David Edwards and and those guys you know coming out. So. There's a lot of ways to use them, and their speed is is the key to their success. And it's also 
you know, like we've said, that's the one thing defenses are really, really cautious about, and that's a fast team. Adam on the tweet sheet, he's going off the board here. He says, Spencer Brown, not sure he's under the radar, but I feel like it's a make-or-break year for him. His improvement is vital to that offensive line. Well, you're not wrong there. And, you know, I think a lot of us are expecting Spencer in his third season to have a breakout year. We've listed other players here in the, in the Bills organization who, through player development, have broken out as players in their third season. I mean, Josh Allen – Taron Johnson, Dawson Knox. I mean, there is a list of players that have done very well, and I think a lot of people are hoping that not only Spencer Brown, but Greg Rousseau, another third-year player, can really break out and not just be a starter, but be a week-to-week contributor that delivers maybe a few big plays every now and then. And for Spencer Brown, you know, maybe that's a big old kickout block where he washes out two defenders and gives, you know, Damian Harris smooth sailing to the end zone. Obviously, for Rousseau, there's an easier stat to keep on him with quarterback hits and pressures and sacks, but I think, I think people are encouraged knowing Spencer Brown is coming into this season healthy that he can really hit the ground running this time around yeah. as opposed to last year. Yeah, no back surgery. When he was playing catch-up. Yeah, no back surgery in the offseason. He can train the entire offseason. He can take full – He can train for football, right. not can, getting his back healthy. Right, and he can participate in practices. Um, and plus, at this point, he doesn't have a high ankle sprain either. So, you know, these guys, it, it, they're curtailed by their inability to prepare to play well because they're not healthy enough to prepare. They can't train hard. They can't lift hard. They can't practice hard because they're, you know, injured. It makes a big difference, particularly at this time of year when you've got to get this stuff under your belt. And this last year, this last year at this time, Spencer Brown was standing around watching. And he couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's – hopefully it makes a world of difference for him in terms of his performance week to week on the field. And it's not going to – It's, I mean, we had David Kessenberry last year, but this is a deeper offensive line than it yeah, was Brandon a year Brandon Shell is going to compete with Kessenberry and with Spencer Brown. I mean, that guy's started 72 games in this league. Yeah. He's, he's got some chops. Yeah. They've got some guys over there that are going to push these young guys, and, you know, Spencer Brown's one of them. Got some interesting entries on the tweet sheet coming up when we come back as some of the contributors here – are flipping over to the defensive side of the ball for some under-the-radar players. We'll tell you who they are next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Give 716-day is fast approaching. The giving period begins on Sunday, July 16th at 716 p.m. and ends on Tuesday, July 18th at 716 a.m. Come together to raise money for local nonprofits with a chance to receive some great team items, such as Give 716 t-shirts, Bill's autographed mini helmets, and Sabres autographed jerseys. View the full schedule at give716.org. One Bill's Live will be out live on Monday, July 17th right at 1 p.m. at the McKinley Mall, uh, or at the Wegmans on McKinley Parkway, I should say, Blaisdell, New York. And uh, 
I am actually on vacation next week, so Josh Reed will be stepping in for me. He'll be on with Steve at the Wegmans on McKinley Parkway, 1 p.m. as the show goes on the road for Give 716 Day. Pretty cool. Nice. Wegmans has always been a big part of it, and we appreciate them being on board with us and all that. Josh Reed and I are going to be out. I, we've got some stuff. Go- and let me – I don't want to – overstate my case here we do have some stuff that's going to be on the show on on monday and i i don't want to give it away give it away so that's fair probably people just out shopping for groceries stop by sit down have say hi that's right <laughs> hey whatever's clever we're we gonna be where are they gonna put us in the wegmans the freezer oh, section right that's just what i was thinking too maybe maybe in the beer cooler well, all it wouldn't right. be all bad well but the second up. hour of the show might not be so good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> second hour. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. Uh, back to the tweet sheet where we told you some people were weighing in with some defensive suggestions for the under-the-radar player they'd like to see break out in training camp at St. John Fisher this summer. And Pat says, on defense, I'm thinking Dorian Williams will be the guy that will step up and earn the linebacker position over Terrell Bernard, who has played well enough last year to be that guy when called on. Interesting. So, so far today, we've had two rookies, Justin Shorter and Dorian Williams. I guess nobody really considers Dalton Kincaid an under-the-radar guy. He, he's probably expected to step in rather high early. High expectations for him. Right. Yeah, that's probably true. Scooter on the tweet sheet says, I'm not counting on it, but would love to see Dorian Williams break out as a clear-cut starter alongside Milano. I, I think he's got an uphill battle here, though. I really do, because we know how much this coaching staff leans towards players with experience. And Bernard and Spector are two guys that have a year in this system. Dorian Williams does not. He is learning on the fly. Not saying he's not capable of traversing that learning curve, but Bernard and Spector have an advantage. So, too, does Tyrell Dodson, who's been in this defense. I think this is his fourth year in this defense. So, that's three guys that already have the jump on Williams in terms of experience. Again, not to say he can't overtake them for the spot, but the deck is, is a little bit stacked against him, I think. Right. Um if you if you go by athleticism, Specter was in the ballpark, if not better, in some areas than than Williams was last year when he came out. And Specter's got a year under his belt playing special teams in the league, so it's not you know it's not going to be you know he's going to want to evolve through that. Um, so I you know it's it's going to be hard for any of these rookies. None of them are Tremaine Edmonds, you know. I mean. 17th pick of the draft or whatever he was and 16 yeah. 16 and coming in just being plugged in because um, there's some guys there that can play mm-hmm. um, that wasn't really the case when Tremaine got drafted so he was a guy that was built for it and groomed for it and from the day one he came in ready to do it uh, and that was one of the things we remember when Tremaine was a first-year player how he had spent hours and hours learning the checks and the adjustment packages of the defense and recognition of the offensive formations and sets and what the checks were for each one of those. Spent a lot of time doing that. And, you know, I just think they've got guys who are going to be way ahead of Williams in that process on the roster. Well, we'll see how it all plays out when we get to training camp in a couple of weeks. Connor on the tweet sheet says, Osiris Torrance. 
I think he was an absolute steal in the second round for Buffalo. There is definitely a great chance he could earn the starting job and be a staple of the Bills' O-line for the foreseeable future. I, I kind of like that pick. I mean, this is a high draft choice. He's going to be given every opportunity to prove he deserves the job over incumbent Ryan Bates. David Edwards might be part of that competition as well. We'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, I mean, they didn't make Torrance a second-round pick for nothing. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if that was the case, if he stepped up when all of a sudden people were noticing him right out of the gate? Um, it's not easy to do at guard in the NFL. It's, it's happened before, and uh, we'll see. But, yeah, that would – you know, push comes to shove – you need a guy that can push and shove, you know. <laughs> so we'll see if Otisiris. Yeah, he doesn't do a whole guy. lot in reverse. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I like that pick as well. Uh, that because let's think about it. That's saying something. He's a second round pick, so he's got some expectations attached to him. But yes, got David Edwards right there, Ryan Bates, the, the incumbent right there, um, and he's got uh, Connor McGovern on the other side. I mean, there's four pretty good guys there. He's he's and he's the youngest. Mm-hmm. And maybe the one who has the longest run-up to, you know, maybe expectations are that he gets on the field. Um, if he stepped up and all of a sudden he's right there on opening day, wow, I think that says a lot about where he's at. A, a lot. Because I, I think that's high. That's a high. I mean, he's a second-round pick. I get all that. But, man, oh, man, they've got some guys. Yes. I think he'll get a good look at it, though. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I think he'll get a look at it. I don't think they brought him in here to, you know, they didn't bring him in here to watch. Right. So we'll see. Bill on the tweet sheet says, Boogie Basham, A.J. Epinesa, simply because the more success you get at the D-line, the better they will be, with or without Vaughn. Is he talking, the more success you get at the D-line, the better they will be. So he's saying, if the line as a whole is more successful, those two will be successful as well. I'm trying to read between the lines there. I do not know. Basham is another third-year player that has to show up here. Epinesa is going into his fourth year, and that guy's – the clock is really ticking on his situation. Mm-hmm. So those – especially with the added competition here in the form of Leonard Floyd, as you mentioned earlier in the show, and let's not forget, too, that they had an undrafted player who was on their practice squad, went to Chicago for five games, played on their active roster, then got released, came back to the Bills practice squad, played in a game on Christmas Eve for Buffalo, flashed Kingsley Jonathan, who is my under-the-radar guy. Um, if he has it, I could see him emerging in training camp and, and giving this coaching staff some difficult decisions to make. Yeah, there's another one on the tweet sheet that just crossed over. At Leonard Floyd could be an addition like Bryce Pop was or Leon wow. Seals on the other side of Bruce Smith. Now That would be something. Vaughn, I mean, Bruce was right in the thick of his prime, but Bryce Pop came in and became Defensive Player of the Year because people staunchly refused to double-team him because they were double-teaming Bruce. And Bryce Pop could rush. He was a big, strong, athletic dude. And he, you know, he had like a ton of sacks. I can't remember how many sacks. He was Defensive Player of the Year. For the Buffalo Bills. Mm. And, you know, in large measure, he's rushing opposite Bruce, which is, you know, John on this tweet sheet's idea is that Vaughn would be like Bruce in that scenario and Leonard Floyd would be like Bryce Pop and become have a breakout year. Um, 
Good thought. Mm-hmm. I like I like the history of it. Um, that's kind of hard to do. Here is a under the radar player. Let Gino Cook says, I hope Tyrell Shavers ends up on special teams at San Diego State. He blocked three kicks and returned three blocked punts for touchdowns. Now, he's a receiver, another one of those guys right. that was over six foot, but I don't, yeah, jersey number 80. Yeah. So, Steve, how about that, though? Three blocked punts for touchdowns? Yeah, it's hard. Three to block, block kicks? It's hard to block punts in the NFL. It is. You can do things in college with alignment and personnel that you can't do in the pros because of player safety. Um, oh man, you get, yeah, you get blocked three block kicks, and you're going to win three of those those three games. Um, that's pretty good. It's a good resume. Yeah, special teams for yeah. sure. Certainly, he's and, and the thing you like about it is a lot of these players come out of the college ranks. They've never covered a kick, never covered a punt, because you know they were always these top flight college players. But you get a guy like this who can come in and who knows what it's like mm-hmm. and who's who welcomes it, that gives him an enormous leg up on some of the other guys that are in his position as rookies coming in who have to learn the mentality of covering kicks, get an appetite for it, get their mind around saying, okay, i got to do this, mm-hmm. uh, and, and putting some effort into it, some thought, and some investment emotionally. A, a guy like him can, could do this right away. That um, gives him a leg up. And certainly, if you, listen, if you start blocking kicks, you ain't, you're going you're gonna to be on the 53. Yeah. Here's an interesting one from David on the tweet sheet. Trey White, if he comes back to full form, it will be huge for Sean McDermott where he can run more blitz packages while Trey handles his assignment. If Trey White is back to all pro form, this defense is going to be pretty tough. I mean, think about here, – here's the thing that I think about when I think about Trey White coming back and playing like an all-pro again. Suddenly the matchup with Miami is not as daunting right. with Waddle and Hill. And if Kyer Elam emerges and comes into his own, you know, now you've got answers for both those guys. I realize Waddle lines up in the slot a great deal, so maybe it's a Taron Johnson thing, but I feel equally good there. So if Trey White is back to all-pro form – and Kyer Elam can emerge and seize that job and be the elite athletic talent that he is, Woo! I mean, suddenly the level of the secondary goes up another peg, maybe well, yeah. two. Because you've already got one of the best slot corners as well in Taron. So, yeah, that's a big jump. If Tredavious comes back and plays at that level and you get a year of development under Kyer Elam or even Christian, whoever the other corner is, who, whichever one of those guys it is, who, and both played well, um, it's exciting to think about because the, certainly the pass rush is going to be upgraded this year with Leonard Floyd and if Vaughn comes back and whenever he comes back and the day he does, it's better. That is a lot of fun to think about. Yeah. That is a lot of fun to think about. Break time for us here. One more segment to go. We'll get some final thoughts on the tweet sheet here next year on One Bills Drive, One Bills Live at One Bills Drive. Stay tuned. All right, back here on One Bills Live for one more segment here. Mike on the tweet sheet says, Justin Shorter for sure. Dude is built, and honestly, I think his talent as a prospect will grow exponentially with Josh getting him the ball throughout camp and the preseason. Jimmy says, Hardy on offense, rap on defense. Mike says, Boogie Basham. 
And there was one more here I wanted to get out. Uh, Khalil Shakir, another vote there. And then Josh says, one of the guys fighting for the middle linebacker spot, <laughs> one of which those is fair. guys over there, yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to bounce off you, Steve. 38 years ago today, Live Aid in London and oh, Philadelphia yeah. uh, for the famine victims in Ethiopia, I was a 13-year-old impressionable young teenager. I watched a lot of that show which was aired on two continents maybe even more than two continents now that i think about it what is the one musical act you think of when somebody says live aid to you is there one musical act queen. that queen that is the most popular answer by far well they came out and there the movie they brought the house down. bohemian rhapsody was set, kind of centered around the ending the climax of the movie was their performance there before yeah. eddie mercury dies so queen perform and then they got footage of it Dude, it's a sea of people at oh Wembley. It, it is a sea it's of the, humanity. It's like the Persian army. All the, it's like <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing footage, and yeah, so that's it. Great lineup uh, of bands. I mean, some of the, some names from the past. I mean, Adam Ant, Boomtown Rats, David Bowie, Phil Collins, Elvis Costello, Dire Straits, Elton John. I mean, Spandau Ballet. Queen was there. <laughs> and then in Philadelphia, when they were playing there, Mick Jagger was there, Billy Joel, Huey Lewis, Robert Plant. Unbelievable. Steve's on vacation tomorrow. I'm in here with Chris Chapasso. We'll see you at 1.